For the scripture reading, would you turn with me to John 8? Um, John 8, we'll start, we're at the end of the chapter, so we'll read uh, 48 down through 59 in John 8. Uh, would you stand when you find your place? Uh, John 8, 48 is where we'll start. Then the Jews answered and said to him, do we, not, do we not say rightly that you are Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall, he shall never see death. And then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets, uh, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do not know, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. And then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to come giving you thanks this morning. Lord, we want to come expressing our love for you, our gratitude. Lord, acknowledging our dependence upon you in all things, and Lord, especially now as we um, come in this uh, study of your word, we, we acknowledge our dependence upon you for understanding. Lord, I pray, asking that you enable me to speak and deliver the message you would have delivered here, and ask that you open all of our ears to hear. Lord, we need a right understanding concerning you and your ways and what you have us here for. We ask that you grant that. Use, use your word to change us, sanctify us. And Father, we pray that in all of these things, your name may be exalted, honored, glorified. Again, we thank you and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Amen. David read earlier from uh, Romans 11. I want to read that passage again briefly. Um, 
beginning in verse 33. This is not really what I'm preaching on this morning. Obviously, we've already looked at John, but, but I want us to have um, in our minds the greatness of God. And this is just one passage of many, but, but this is just one passage that I think helps a great deal with that. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him, and through Him, and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. There are several running themes in John. We've, we've talked about some of them. One, for example, is the, his main purpose in writing. and We find that over in, in uh, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where he says, I've written these things to you so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God so that you may believe in Him. Believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in Him, you may have eternal life. So John says, I'm writing so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that was extremely meaningful to the Jews. They knew exactly what uh, He would be referring to there, the long-awaited Messiah who would come as ruler and king over Israel. And so John says, I want you to know that Jesus is this One. He's the Christ, the Anointed One. And the Son of God, he says. I want you to understand, believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God. And boy, a lot could, uh, could go into explaining that, I suppose. But he, he came from God. He is of God. In fact, Jesus keeps um, making that point in the discourse that we've been looking at here in chapter 8. I'm of God. I'm from heaven. You're, you're, of, of, you're not of God. And you're from the earth. And you're of the earth and so forth. He came from God. John says, I want you to believe that He's the Christ, the Anointed One, and that He's the Son of God. And that believing on Him, that is not just, not just have some kind of mental assent, mental acknowledgement that He is these things, but that it would actually affect you in such a way that your eternal destiny is changed. Your life is changed and, and your eternal destiny is changed. That believing on Him, you may have life. So you go actually through this knowledge of Jesus Christ. You actually go through this transformation from death to life. From dead to living. And John says, this is what, what I, I want. This is the reason that I write. And then there are sub-things, many of which we've discussed, and I just want to bring one in particular out here. And that is, with John... The ideas of believing, and, and, and he uses different words um, sometimes to convey basically the same concept, common practice with us as well. But, for example, believing and knowing involve obedience, submission, love. So, to believe in Christ... I write these things so that you may believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God. To believe in Him would, would mean to 
follow Him, would mean to obey Him, would mean to be in submission to Him, would mean to love Him. So John makes use of, use of those terms in that way. To believe is to obey, or you could say to know is to obey. There's, there's an, an, an intimate relationship uh, implied there um, that includes willful, loving, joyful submission. <laughs> joyful submission. Now, in order to be submitted to Him, in order to obey Him, that's going to that's involve um, a, a right understanding of who He is. Or we might say it this way. We can see this in, in, in people who, um, who received Him, who came to know Him, and as well in His, uh, in, in his enemies. To know Him will, will directly affect how you respond to Him. Even, even, that's even the case with the enemies. To, to know Him to some degree, that is to have some exposure to Him, that had an effect on how they responded to Him. To, to hear Him speak, to watch His works, and often they were just more and more hardened, uh, so the hatred would grow and they would fight Him all the more often because they were seeing more and more um, about His person and character. On the other hand, um, they didn't have a right understanding. They didn't have a full understanding. They weren't seeing things correctly. A right vision of God, a right understanding of God. So, for believers, we, we could say this, to, to know Him or to know Him in truth, genuine faith, is, is going to produce a favorable, favorable response. In other words, submission, obedience. To know Him is to submit to Him. Don Carson makes this comment in John, that is in the Gospel of John, knowledge of God cannot be separated from obedience. Again, I would just say um, it, it will in fact produce it. You, 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 you come to a correct understanding of who He is and you will obey. Now, I want to give us a little bit of, of, uh, of, of context before we proceed in these, in these passages here. And let's just think along those lines. If you would, turn, turn with me to Isaiah 41. I'm going to take you through just a little series of Scriptures here in, in Isaiah um, briefly. But think along those lines, um, that is, concerning the nature and character of God. Who God is. What do we mean when we say God? Who are we talking about when we say Lord? Who are we talking about when we talk about Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible? And we'll come back to that. But let's, who is God? Well, we, we just saw one description in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. One, one um, what we call a doxology is a, a word of praise to God because of who He is, His greatness, His power, His glory. So look with me here, and, and I'm picking these verses out because of the language used in them, but also because of the, uh, the concepts that they convey here about 
uh, the character of God, the nature and character of God. Um, and boy, you, it'd really be good to read through it all, which we're not going to do that. But um, so, so I'm so I'm diving into the <laughs> to the middle of some good good things here, just to, just to kind of excerpt some little jewels here. Um, verse. Uh, let me in verse in chapter 41. Um, let me start with verse one in this one. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach. Then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him, so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his blow, with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? I am I the Lord, the first and the last. I am He. So what he's saying, I'm the one who has, who has done these great things. And he's using, um, through the mouth and pen of Isaiah, he's using poetry here to describe his own greatness, sovereignty, power. And he, and he gives some descriptions of those things. And he says, who is this who's done this? Who has performed and done this? And he gives the answer in the second part of verse 4. I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am He. I am He. Now look at chapter 43, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe and understand that I am He. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. I am God. Also, henceforth, I am He. Notice that phrase. We saw it in chapter 41. saw it again in verse 10 here, 43.10. Here it is again. Also henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from My hand. I work and who can turn it back? Look at... Um, now just a little further down, verse 25. There you have it again. I am He who blots out your transgressions for My own sake. And I will not remember your sins. He says, I'm the one. The one who for my own sake, that is, He does it for His own glory. For my own glory, I blot out your transgressions. That's the Gospel, isn't it? Forgiven sins, sins taken away. And who does that? He says, I, I do. I, the Lord, I am He. I'm the one who blots out your transgressions and remember your sins no more. Now look um, again in chapter 46. Verse 4. You think that Isaiah had a, a big view of God? <laughs> Remember, and all this is coming behind, if you go back to chapter 6 and, and read about Isaiah's vision and calling where he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Chapter 46, verse um, 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, 
who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am He. A lot of times, um, because of things that are going on in our nation today, and uh, politically, you hear this term, cradle to grave, right? Cradle to grave. And, and the context that you hear that in, usually, you know, the governments, whether it's for or against, you know, the government is making these promises to care for us from the cradle to the grave. Well, Right or wrong, good intentions, bad intentions, whatever's behind all that, uh, they can't do it. They can't do it. But you know what? He does. He does. He's, Listen to me, house of Jacob, all the room of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth. Not, not just from the cradle, but from before your birth. Carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am He. There it is again. I am He. And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear, I will carry and will save. I am He, He says. Isaiah 48, verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, in Israel, whom I called. I am He. I am the first, and I am the last. And notice too how he keeps saying to them, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Why? Because they're not. They're not hearing, they're not believing, they're not following, they're not obeying. And so he keeps bringing back to their remembrance the fact that he is the one that they should be worshiping, that they should be obeying, that they should be loving that they should be intimately involved with, knowing you are my people, I am your God. I am He. Now let's go back to John 8 with those things in mind. <laughs> the, the knowledge of God. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what He has in view when He talks about the knowledge of God. And when He says to the Jews, essentially that they don't know God. Now let's go back a little uh, further to cat, just to re, um, remind ourselves of some of the discourse that's happening here. And we're going to refer back to some of it again as we go. But uh, verse 34, Truly, truly, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Now that's because of verse 33 where they, they just told him, we're the offspring of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. Jesus says, I know that you're of the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Now that's, that's significant, which he's going to go on to, to show. My word finds no place in you. And, there, and there's implications built in there. In other words, it matters. It matters that Jesus' word finds no place in them. I mean, he's not just a teacher that you can accept or reject without consequences. There, there are a lot of teachers out there teaching a lot of things, and you know, some things you may be interested in, other things you may not be interested in, or you may pick up some particular discipline or study, and you may choose between, well, you know, I like this teacher better than this one, and so I think I'll take this one. I had to class that I'm doing, I had to make that choice without any knowledge, so there's where you've got to really trust the in the, uh, the sovereignty of God, right? 
because they gave me a choice between two teachers for this class. I didn't know anything about either one of them, and I'm thinking, of course, you know, um, um, being a, a fleshly human being, I'm thinking, if I only knew which one is easier and nicer. <laughs> which, which one, right, is uh, more tolerant? But I didn't have a clue, so I just had to, had to uh, just pick one without any knowledge. But sometimes you do. You, 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 have a, you have a choice. You pick one over the other without any repercussions, really. Because one's just as good as another. But that's not the case with Jesus. When He says, My Word finds no place in you, He's saying that's, that's a problem. There's going to be consequences. And He goes on to say, verse 38, I speak of what I've seen with my Father, and you do what you have heard from your Father. Now He begins to talk about that kind of intimate relationship that we were just referring to. The knowing... Or the, or the submitting, the obeying, the believing. And so they, they go back to their genealogy. Um, verse 39, They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. So he, even in that physical relationship, so to speak, it was true that they were of the lineage of Abraham, but Jesus is saying, but spiritually speaking, you're not, you're not showing the characteristics of Abraham. You're not doing what Abraham did, or even would do in this case. Verse 40, But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Now that's one reason, <laughs> primary reason, all right, that um, what he says matters. And accepting or rejecting his word matters. Because he's only told the truth, he's only told what he has heard from God. And he says, this is not what Abraham did. Why? Because Abraham was in submission to God. Abraham believed God, right? Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. He followed God. How do we know that? We have literal examples of that recorded for us. God would tell Abraham to go and Abraham would Go. Tell Abraham to do, and Abraham would do. He was submitted to God. He followed God. He obeyed God. So Jesus says, you won't do that, and this is not what Abraham did. You are doing, verse 41, you are doing the works of your, that your father did. And of course, he's talking about Satan. In other words, they're, they're, they are slaves to sin. He's already made that point. And they are um, children of Satan. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. So now they shift it over to the spiritual uh, side, basically, and say, look, um, we have one Father. God is our Father. Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me. Now, no, notice this, how Jesus keeps bringing these forward and the, the progression here. My Word finds no place in you, as, as though that matters. It certainly does. If God were your Father, you would love Me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of My own accord, but He sent Me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear My Word. Now there it is again. 
and you see the correlation. You, you don't hear my word. You don't love me. If God were your Father, you would. You would love me. You would hear my word. My word would find place in you. In other words, he's drawing a correlation between knowledge of God and love and obedience to himself, to Jesus. That's, we haven't even got to the end of this argument yet that Jesus is making here, and that's already astounding. Now, who could say that? Who could say that but Jesus? Now, he goes on. Again, if God... Um, I'm sorry, verse 44. You are of your father the devil. So there he lays that out plainly. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, see, you, you notice how he's connecting... Again, this um, knowledge or intimate relationship with deeds and desires. In other words, what they do is the desires of Satan. So they cannot be the children of God. That's what Jesus is saying. If you were the children of God, your will would be to do the desires of God. I mean, that's the, that's the, um, the flip side. But you're of your father the devil... And your will is to do His desires. Your will is to do your Father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. Because there's no truth in Him. When He lies, He speaks out of His own character, for He is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus will go on to uh, call, refer to them as liars as well. And there again, there's the family resemblance, right? Your father's a liar... You're a liar. You do the works of your father. Why? Because he's your father. Because you're related. You share desires. Your will is to do his desires. You have the same kind of desires as your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. You seek to kill me. So he's saying there's, there's this matchup, kind of a spiritual genetics. You're of your father, the devil, and therefore you bear his likeness. So he says, verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. Now, I, I, I think we need to make a connection there, for example, um, Verse 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. Notice there it's my word, if you abide in my word. And then back in, um, or down a little further, verse um, 37, you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. And we need to make a connection between those verses and verse 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. In other words, he's, he's drawing a, uh, an, an equivalence, a parallel. My word's the word of God. My word finds no place in you. Why? Because you don't hear God's words. Whoever is of God hears God's words. The reason you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now we pick up where we're <clears throat> going to 
focus our attention today, the next 10 verses, 10 or 11 verses here. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered. Boy, what a, what a slam and blasphemy that was. But Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Now, honor and dishonor. I honor my Father, you dishonor me. How, how is it that Jesus honors His Father? Well, look back for a moment at verse 29. He who sent me is with me. That's a reference to the Father. Jesus is talking about the Father. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Now, look at verse 50. Verse 49, he says, I honor my Father, you dishonor me. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So he says, I honor my Father. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You dishonor me. Now again, keep... um, what we, what we put forward a little, little bit ago is, is, is John's concept of obedience here, the, what, what the Holy Spirit, I think, is communicating here. Belief or knowledge, that is in a, in, a, in a true sense, in a saving sense, knowing Christ, knowing God, always involves obedience. So Jesus can say, I'm perfectly obedient to the Father. I always do the things that are pleasing to Him in verse 29. And therefore, He can make the statement in verse 49, I honor my Father. Then He can say about them, the Jews, that are opposing Him, you dishonor me. Why? Because they, they won't hear His Word. They won't submit to Him. They won't obey Him. His Word finds no place in them. Verse 37. In verse 51, He makes another assertion. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps My Word... Now, why does He say that in the middle of that that whole statement, verse 49 through 51? And again, I would suggest that it's because that's what they're not doing. You dishonor me. That is, you won't keep my word. But if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. So he's saying, you you won't submit to me, you won't obey me, you won't acknowledge me as Lord, you won't love me, my word finds no place in you, you dishonor me. But if you were to keep my word, you would never taste death. Or, to put it in the terms of verse 31, if you were to remain in my word, then you would be a true disciple and you would know the truth and the truth would make you free from bondage to Satan. So all that's at play here. And then at the same time, there's this 
sort of progressive revelation in the, in the discourse concerning who He is. In other words, there's a, re- there's a reason that they should be honoring Him. There's a reason that they should be obeying Him. There's a reason that they should be loving Him. If anyone keeps My Word, he will never taste death. And the Jews respond back to that in verse 53. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And by the way, Jesus gets confronted with these questions a lot and sometimes He brings them up Himself and the answer is always yes. (laughs) He doesn't usually put it in one word like that. He usually gives some example or some description of of His work and character that answers the question, yes. See, the woman at the well said, are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? And Jesus says, he answers yes by saying this, you drink from this well, that is the well that Jacob dug, you drink from this well and you'll thirst again. But you drink the water that I give you and you'll never, you'll never, you'll never thirst again. And so that, that kind of, that's a way of saying, who, who do you think is greater? the one that can give you the water that will only quench your thirst temporarily or the one that can give you living water that will save your soul for eternity? Which one is greater? Yes! Yes! He's greater. And sometimes Jesus would just bring it out Himself. A greater than Solomon is here. Oh, they held Solomon in high esteem. Even Jesus talked about the glory of Solomon. And yet, Greater than Solomon is here, and he would sometimes just make the case by his deed. So he goes into the temple, for example, and cleanses the temple. And says, My father's house should be a house of prayer for the nations. And he shows himself in those actions to be superior to the temple in Jerusalem and to the whole Levitical sacrificial system, which pointed to Him. In fact, when He said, tear this temple down and in three days I'll raise it up again, He wasn't talking about the one that Herod built. He was talking about His own body. If anyone keeps My word, he will never taste of death. Well, are you greater than Abraham? They're saying, oh, well, you think very highly of yourself whoever keeps my word will never taste of death. Are you greater than Abraham? Abraham died. Abraham believed in God. He believed and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And he died. So I guess you're saying you're greater than Abraham. What about the prophets? The prophets died, generally speaking. You, make, you, you, you think you're greater than uh, Abraham and the prophets? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now, Jesus answered, verse 54, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is the Father who glorifies me of whom you say He is your God. Notice again how He's phrasing that. You say He's your God, but you have not known Him, verse 55. Why does He say that? Well, again, because there's no submission. There's no true submission. 
Yes, they've got all the outward appearance. These are very religious people. They claim to keep the law of God. They claim to highly esteem the law of God. They claim to be servants of God. The Pharisees in particular, the term Pharisee means separated, separated ones. They were committed to being separate from society in the sense that, you know, we're, we're totally committed to God and His Word and will. And yet, the truth is, they weren't really doing it. And then when the Christ, the Anointed One of God, the Son of God, comes on the scene, they don't even recognize Him. Because in truth, they're not doing the will of God, which betrays the fact that they are really not children of God. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him, Jesus says. And by the way, that, that's in, in verse 52, um, Jesus says, If anyone keeps My Word, he will never taste death. When they respond... Um, They say, are you greater than Abraham and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Um, so there, there's language used here for, for this idea of, of, uh, of experience. Like, like you'll never taste death. Taste is the idea of experience. You won't experience death. Here, knowledge, where we're at in, uh, in verse 53... You have not known Him. Again, it's, it, it carries the connotation of, a, of an intimate knowledge, experience. Not just knowing about. But you have not known Him. I know Him. Now, he says, if I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His Word. Do you see that connection again? I do know Him and keep His Word. The two go together. I know and we could, we could just for the, to, to make a point, we could paraphrase it this way. I know, therefore, I obey. I know Him, and I keep His Word. The two go together. And what he's saying is you're not of God because you're not keeping His Word. You're not of God because you're not keeping My Word. Because you don't love Me. So the Jews said to Him, I'm sorry, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced. Now again, he's going he's to show their, their deeds, their actions, their, and specifically here, their attitude towards him, toward Jesus, is not in line with Abraham's. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. <laughs> That's an astounding statement, probably for many reasons. <clears throat> One of which is only Jesus... Now, now of course, they're, they're not believing this and they're questioning this, but only Jesus would have that, that knowledge and be able to say what He just said. And by the way, isn't it, isn't it interesting how He just... He keeps coming at them with truth, even though that's the very thing they're rejecting. In other words, I might be tempted to say, you know, if I were in those shoes, okay, 
My word is, is not finding any place in them. I'm telling them the truth that I heard from God. They're not receiving it. Um, it's not working. But Jesus just... They're, they're rejecting the truth, and yet that's what He keeps coming at them with. Why would they believe that He knows anything about what Abraham saw or how Abraham felt if they don't believe who He is in the first place? Well, in one sense, that doesn't matter. He's still going to tell them because it's still true. Their disbelief doesn't change the fact that it's true. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And I think even the, the, um, the Jews you know, would have the understanding that Abraham was looking forward to, uh, and as well as other prophets, looking forward to the Messianic age with anticipation, with rejoicing. And so I, I, I don't think... Um, it's, it's hard to know exactly what Jesus is referring to there. In other words, what did Abraham, um, what did Abraham see? Or what did Abraham rejoice that he would see? Um, he saw it and was glad. What, exa- what exactly is Jesus referencing? Is he thinking of something specific in the Old Testament? probably more important than figuring that out, because I don't think we're going to figure that out anyway, other than what I just said. We, we know that Abraham and all the prophets looked forward to the blessings of God being fulfilled, right? And they rejoiced in that. They rejoiced in looking forward to the blessings of God being fulfilled. But what Jesus does here, in that, in that statement, in, in verse um, 56 is connect himself with that. In other words, he's saying, when he says, Abraham, um, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, he's making the, 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 bless, the fulfillment of the blessings of God, the messianic age, the day of God, as it's so often called, or the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. He's making all of those references his day. Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and then now he brings it up to where he is, and, and he saw it and was glad. Well, in, in what sense did he see it? We, again, we don't fully know, but nevertheless, I think it's important that Jesus is connecting it all to himself. What Abraham rejoiced in was the day of Christ the day of Jesus. And Abraham saw it, in whatever sense he saw it at this point. He didn't reject it like they did. He embraced it. In fact, there's a strong word used here. He was glad. He was glad. He rejoiced at the knowledge of Christ. He didn't refuse Him. He didn't reject Him. So again, further evidence that they are not truly, in a spiritual sense, they're not seed of Abraham. So the Jews said to him, verse 57, You are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Now you can understand their um, being puzzled here. 
you're talking about Abraham as though, as though you knew him personally. Because <laughs> he's not just saying, you know, Abraham rejoiced to see some specific thing in Scripture. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. So you talk like you've got relationship with Abraham. And you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham, they're basically mocking. And Jesus says, truly, truly. And there's that attention getter again, right? Amen, amen. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I said there's been, there's been somewhat of a, of, of a progression here. Little by little, Jesus saying things about His person, His identity, who He is. And some of them are pretty clear, relatively, but they've, they've got enough ambiguity to them that it's, it, it still leaves room for um, maybe other explanations. This one gets pretty clear. Extremely clear. How so? You remember back in Exodus 3 where God calls Moses. He commissions Moses to go and deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And Moses knows that he needs credibility, right? Now he's got he's to tell them. Uh, it's not like everybody's just going to line up Say, okay, this guy has, says he's our deliverer, and so uh, let's go. It's not like everybody's just going to automatically line up. He's got to have, he's got to go in somebody's name in order to convince them or persuade them. So he says, "Who do I tell them sent me?" In other words, you're you're God, and of course, I think Moses is convinced of that at that point. You're God, and you're telling me to go. Okay, but who do I who do I tell them sent me? They're going to say, "Who sent you?" And God responds in Exodus 3 by saying, Tell them, I am sent you. In fact, I want to read just a few verses real quick. We're almost done here. Hold tight. Moses said, this is Exodus 3.13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is His name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Well, there's a lot we could say about that that we don't have time for. Let me just, let me just say this in relation to what Jesus um, has said here in John 8, 58. In Exodus 3, that is how God, Almighty God, the one that we read about in Romans 11, 33-36, the God that we read about in, in all those passages in Isaiah that, that no one can stand against, who created all things, who saved, that God revealed Himself to Moses with this unique name. Unique because it's a verb. It's a to-be verb. I am. He said, tell them I am sent you. And so that, that little phrase, of course, um, became the primary, um, I guess we could say, um, personal uh, name for God. 
It's usually translated Jehovah or Yahweh. Um, sometimes, or a lot of times, like um, it, it'll be translated Lord, but it'll be in all capitals. Capital L and then O-R-D in, in smaller capitals. And that's God's name. Revered so highly and, and, and um, thought of to be so holy that they wouldn't even speak it. So to this day, we don't know for sure how it's pronounced. And even today, practicing Jews, and it's, it's strange to me how they carry this over into the English, but, but they do. When they write God, G-O-D, re- referring to the God of Israel, they will write a capital G and then a, an underscore. It looks like an underline. Capital G underscore D. Because they're referring to Yahweh. And so they will not write God in that context. Or type it. I saw there's a, a Jewish lady, I don't know her. She's, her name's Rainbolt, and that's the reason that we're friends on Facebook. But she'd written, typed something out on Facebook the other day, and that's how she wrote God. And I've seen, you see that a lot in Jewish literature. That's the proper name for God. God Himself gave as His identity, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. Now, the Jews say to Jesus, oh, you're not even 50 years old, and, and you know all about Abraham. That's amazing. Abraham lived 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago. You're not even 50. You've seen Abraham? And Jesus says with great emphasis, Amen, Amen, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Now let's just say Jesus as a human being were 3,000 years old. And he was just simply saying, I was born before Abraham. And I know it's a little absurd, but I'm just making a point here with the language. Let's just say that that were the case. He could have worded that differently and, and simply said, before Abraham was, I was. I mean, there's a way to do that grammatically. John does it, even though he was six months older than Jesus. He doesn't say, before Jesus was, I am. He says, he came after me, but, or, or, or rather, um, yeah, he came after me, but he was before me. Came after me, meaning John was born first. There's a way to do that. There's a way to communicate that. Physically, John was born first. Before Abraham was, I was. I don't look like I'm even 50, but I'm 3,000 years old. <laughs> but, but that, of course, is not the case. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not just saying, you know, that I, I lived before Abraham. I was born before Abraham as a man. And He's not saying, you know what, Abraham's still around. Y'all don't realize that he's hidden out in a cave somewhere. Um, nothing like that. What he's saying is, purposely, he's taking the proper name of God and saying, before Abraham was, I am. Declaring his own deity. I am Christ. I am the Son of God. I am the incarnate God. Remember back in verse 24, same, same phrase, and remember we just read it 
what, five, six, seven times in, in Isaiah? Look at verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. We touched on it slightly last week. I am He. Who's, who? He who? Well, go read those passages again in Isaiah 41 through 51. Look again in verse 28 here. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. He who? Read Isaiah again. And then Jesus makes it clear in verse 58 who He is. The I Am. The I Am. Now, if you truly know Him, the I Am, then you understand something about what Paul's talking about in Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. And you understand the references in Isaiah about the greatness, power, majesty, and sovereignty of God. The, the question we want to leave here today with is, do you understand that about Jesus? Because that's who He is. Before Abraham was, I am. The next time a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door and tells you something like, Jesus nowhere ever claimed to be God, you take them to John 8:58. And if they try to say, oh, that's not what He meant by that, show them the next verse. So they picked up stones to throw at him. You know why? Because in their mind, he had just committed blasphemy by claiming to be God. In other words, what I'm saying is they understood perfectly that Jesus was claiming to be God. And he did not deny it because he meant exactly what he said. Who is Jesus? And this is the main theme running in the book of John. Who is Jesus? He is I Am. He is I Am. Part of that, by the way, as we close, and go ahead if you would and stand, please. Part of that, by the way, is what we read a moment ago in Isaiah. He is the One who blots out our transgressions. Remember that? I am He. And Jesus says it this way here. If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Of course, if you do, your sins are blotted out. He is I Am. Are you today, it's a question for all of us, are we today submitted to Him? Do we, do we follow Him? Do we obey Him? Do we seek to know Him better? Do we seek His mercy? Do we realize our own sinfulness and say, God, have mercy on us. Do we come to God through faith in Christ, trusting in what Jesus did for forgiveness for our sins? He is I Am. He is I Am. Let's pray. Brother Carl, you mind leading us in a word of prayer? And we'll dismiss.